0: Good evening, it is 5pm and you're tuned in to Kingston Currents here on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC's news programming is brought to you through the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. I'm Christina Laurie, CFRC's broadcast journalist, here to keep you posted on all things Limestone Local. To start us off, here are some local news headlines. Kingston Fire and Rescue received water shuttle reaccreditation. Kingston Fire and Rescue has completed a successful reaccreditation of the Superior Tanker Shuttle Service with commercial rating through Fire Underwriters Survey, FUS. This level of accreditation is a recognized equivalency to hydrant protection and must be renewed every five years. According to FUS, to be recognized for accredited Superior Tanker Shuttle Service, a fire department must exceed the requirements in several areas. Kingston Fire and Rescue Chief Monique Belair states, This achievement demonstrates our ability to transport water to rural fire scenes and confirms our commitment to providing exceptional fire protection service to our residents. It also provides our rural residents with a potential reduction in insurance premiums, end quote. Kingston Fire and Rescue would like to thank and recognize Relect Canada for the use of their property to conduct the testing, as well as South Frontenac Fire and Rescue, Loyalist Township Emergency Services, and Leeds 1000 Islands Fire Service for providing equipment and resources. Richard Edworthy, Chief Training Officer with Kingston Fire and Rescue states, last but not least, thank you to our amazing firefighters and training division for their hard work and dedication to achieving this level. Well done and congratulations, end quote. Coming up at the end of September, stay safe with upcoming KFPL Rotary Presentations on Fraud Awareness and Prevention. In today's rapidly changing world, staying informed about the evolving landscape of fraud is crucial. Ensure you are empowered and ready to outsmart fraud with the guidance of the Rotary Club of Kingston and the Kingston Frontneck Public Library's upcoming fraud awareness and prevention sessions. You can join one of two seminars that will provide a comprehensive understanding of fraud tactics and equip you with the expertise to thwart deceptive schemes targeting personal security and financial stability. Jake Miller, librarian and adult programming states, don't be caught off guard by fraud. Join the Rotary Club and KFPL in building a community that's informed and prepared. By attending these sessions, you will be equipped to recognize fraudulent attempts from all angles, from identifying potential scams over the phone to recognizing deception in person and online. You can actively engage and ask questions, ensuring you leave with a strong foundation and fraud prevention strategies, end quote. Sessions take place on September 20. 20- 21st at 6:30 p.m. at the Central Branch and October 28th at 2 p.m. at the Isabel Turner Branch. For this and more KFPL programming, be sure to head to calendar.kfpl.ca. KFLNA Community Partners announces What You Don't See: The Person Anti-Stigma Campaign. The KFLNA Community Drug Strategy Advisory Committee and Trellis HIV and Community Care are launching an anti-stigma campaign to increase awareness of substance use stigma and the negative impact it has on people's lives. The campaign aims to humanize people who use substances and promote understanding and compassion around how trauma lies at the root of addiction. While developing a community response to the drug poisoning crisis, KFLNA community partners identified a clear need to reduce the stigma around substance use. Stigma makes it harder to break the cycle of substance use, discourages people from seeking care, and prevents them from being seen as they truly are, a fellow human in need of support. Stigma against people who use substances only makes a scary situation worse, says Candace Christmas, project engagement manager at the Support Not Stigma initiative run by Trellis HIV and Community Care. It's pervasive in our community and our systems and it needs to be addressed because people are afraid to get the help they need. The campaign features seven stories from people with lived experience with substance use and stigma, including mothers, a chemical engineer, frontline workers, people experiencing homelessness, and other members of our community. The stories will be displayed throughout the city on social media and at supportnotstigma.ca. Substance use isn't a moral failing, added Susan Stewart, CDSAC Chair and Director of Community Wellbeing at KFLNA Public Health. We hope that people see a part of themselves in these stories so that people can learn to be kind to members of their community who are experiencing challenges. Find out what you can do to make Kingston a kinder place for people impacted by substance use. Visit supportnonstigma.ca. The City of Kingston, County of Frontenac, South Frontenac, Frontenac Islands, Central Frontenac, and North Frontenac have all declared September 1st, October 15th Open Farm Days 2023. While the event has previously been only a single weekend where folks can visit local farms and other local agribusinesses for tours and activities, this year it has been extended to last six weeks. To chat about the event and how they're ramping things up this year, I sat down with Debbie Miller with Frontenac County. Here's what she had to say. To get us started, would you like to introduce yourself and your role with Open Farms?
1: Sure. My name is Debbie Miller and I'm the Community Development Officer with the County of Frontenac. And I'm part of the team that is working on pulling together the the various events and the marketing for Open Farm Days. So I'm uh, one of the two members from Frontenac County, but one of five members that comes to the the regular meetings. We also are working with the City of Kingston, South Frontenac uh, Township and Tourism Kingston as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering for folks unfamiliar with Open Farms who have never heard of it before maybe does this event have a long history or is this a newer initiative
1: yeah thanks that's a really great question this is the sixth year for open farms um it started and the first year it was um inviting people into farms just to talk about you know farming different types of farming raising awareness for food and local agriculture and really trying to connect people with producers um each year as as we've seen things happen and change during covid um, the event has, has changed slightly. So the second year, it was it was a very, very busy year. There was a lot of people out to farm. So that was a great success. The following year, again, moving into COVID, it moved online. So the, the entire event was online sessions. And then the next second year of COVID, it became a hybrid. So there was some online, some in person. Last year, we moved back to in person. And uh, this year we're back in person again, but slightly changing. Previous years, it's been a one weekend event, focused Mm -hmm. around um, one weekend early in September. Um, This year, when we talked to the farms, it was really important to understand sort of just capturing all farms and and just getting input from everybody. And there there was some farms that the timing of the event previously didn't necessarily work for their harvest. Um, because as we know, not everything harvests at the same time. So um, apples are an example. Um, They harvest later in September. So that was one that um, it's great to have apple orchards involved. Um, So just making sure that the, the timing allowed for that. But there's also a lot of other things happening too with plowing matches and things like that. So just making sure that there's there's availability um, across the different uh, locations. So so it just allowed more people to be involved. Frontenac um, County and the townships and the city of Kingston all proclaimed open farm days this year. So it's a six week timeframe from September 1st to October 15th that the, uh, the dates were proclaimed. And um, really trying to highlight and and draw attention to the importance of agriculture in our region.
0: Yeah, oh, that's so awesome that you guys got to go from one weekend to six weeks. How are you mm-hmm. taking advantage of this bigger timeframe?
1: Yeah, so what we've done this year is we've put everything into a standalone website, openfarms.ca. And all of the events taking place are listed on that website. So you can go in, um, all of the events are listed by date, but you can search by the type of experience or the location. So there's a list of the 17 locations that are listed on the site. um, And you can see the different types of experiences that are there. There's different experiences from culinary farming experiences. There's, There's educational experiences, community events and farmers markets. Um, So they're all listed by category and you can click in and choose um, the different type of event there. So um, you can get more information and then you can also click through to purchase tickets or see if it's a drop-in event. So there's both options available on the site. So depending on the event that you're choosing, some are drop-in from a certain time frame. And then some are ticketed events where you'll have to register in advance to make sure that you've got your ticket and... uh, you're one of the lucky people able to go to that event.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Did you find that more farmers and producers were able to participate this year because of the larger time frame? I, I would say
1: yes. Last year mm-hmm. we had six different farms involved and this year there's 17 locations and wow. it includes a farmer's market. So last year the, the markets were also involved, but uh, this year there's 17 um, listed on here and they, there's some that have multiple dates for events
2: mm-hmm. and
1: multiple types of events, which is really great. So it's nice to see expanding that, and it's nice to see that um, there's so many people involved in the celebration of farming and food in Frontenac and Kingston.
0: So I was wondering if you could speak um, in general. Just you have a little list of goals on your Open Farms website if folks want to learn more. But I was wondering if you could speak to the importance of shopping local and supporting small scale agriculture, and also just the importance of making these connections between local consumers and producers in Kingston.
1: Absolutely. So, a really important part when uh, when Open Farms was first started was really setting goals for what that was going to be about. And unfortunately, I wasn't involved during that time. But I'm here now, and really happy that the goals have continued. And each year, we um, we connect back with the farms just to make sure they haven't changed. So, educating consumers okay. about small scale agriculture is such an important part of what um, the core goals are. Increasing the awareness of farming and the farm-to-table side, where where people can get local product and and learning more about farming practices within our community and within our region, are so important. But also the opportunity for producers to connect directly with consumers. So. Um, so often, like in a, in a larger in a larger location, um, you don't know where that's grown, but it's a really great opportunity to learn more about your food and learn more about practices and things like that. So really important parts as we as we learn more about local food, um, but also increasing our region's um, reputation as a local food destination um, and really like from the farm to the table in the Kingston end of things. Um, and driving opportunities for culinary and agritourism product development so again continuing to to build on some of the the areas where there's product available and just what can be done with different types of products which it's always interesting to see what chefs produce with some of the amazing products that are grown in our community um, and it's also it's also an opportunity I know, for myself, it's always wonderful when you can learn something new. Um, so going to a location to learn about what's happening on their farm and what you're seeing happening um, and raising awareness for that and the importance of local food, um, especially where we're at in the world today. I think during the last couple of years, people have really shown an inter- a great interest in local food, growing food, and, and a lot of different, different parts to that. So, Those are really, really important parts for sure.
0: Miller also provided a few examples of events running this year.
1: Uh, Maple Ridge Farms is offering, they've got a beekeeping experience where you can get suited up and you can go up close to a beehive. They also have a flower experience and a walk with a farmer experience. Um, There's a Kingston Area Seed System Initiative where you can go and you can learn about um, saving seeds and the, the process involved around those. Um, which is a, that's a drop-in event. There's the various farmer's markets. So there's the all the, the different farmer's markets around Kingston and Frontenac, and there's five in total. So there's lots around there. There's a Haymakers coffee roasting tour where you can go and learn about uh, roasting coffee. And then you can enjoy a meal afterwards at the Mustard Station. It's a food truck. And the meal is focused on uh, Wolf Island, from, coming from the Wolf Island uh, recipe book from the Women's Institute and its meals that they've focused on around harvest in previous years during harvest time. Sun Harvest Greenhouse is offering the you pick flowers and then you can also drop by their fall market. Um, there's a farm to brewer tour. Um, it's a hopyard experiential tour at the Wolf Island hop yard where you can go and see the hops being harvested but also learn about the different types of beer that the hops make. The Frontenac County Plowing Match is taking place, and that's on Sunday, September 10th. Um, And you can drop by and you can learn about what's happening out in the field. Um, There's also an educational component to that one where you can take the wagon ride and they'll be talking about what's happening out in the field. But again, a great drop-in event to to have there. there's lots happening, Low Grow Heritage Orchard. Also, you can drop out there, walk the the orchard, learn about the apples, and you can also pick up various products. They've got different different things available for that. There's also a couple of different, there's a Meet the Farmer, and so you want to grow your own food where you can come out, and it's a it's a session um, happening in, in uh, sorry, South Frontenac, and you can come and meet farmers and talk about, They're gonna share knowledge that they've got about their farm and their type of farming, but then you also have an opportunity to ask questions. Really casual environment, um, but will be a really great opportunity to to have lots of people asking questions and learning different things um, throughout that both of those sessions. So those are both free drop-in events.
0: Be sure to check out the events running until October 15th on the Open Farm Day's website, openfarms.ca. The Greater Kingston Chamber of Commerce has released their second quarterly City Council Report Card. In this edition of the report card, Council took a dip from Q1's green, or positive, ranking, dropping to yellow, which indicates potential business concerns. The report card provides a summary and ranking of each business-related decision made by Council throughout the quarter, this most recent document covering May, June, and July. While Council motions do not tell the full story, they provide a summary of business-related motions in the quarter and their potential outcomes for local businesses. I sat down with Karen Cross, CEO of the Greater Kingston Chamber of Commerce, to discuss some of the key concerns identified in this edition of the report card. There was a dip from green in the first quarter to yellow this quarter. To start us off, what are some of the key decisions that led to this
2: decline? Still, we had six motions that were in the positive, and then there were six in the negative or the red. So it kind of brought it down just slightly, but not, not in a large way. And I think a lot of it came from where we were asking asking for our counselors to not to add unnecessary costs and delays to the process around development. So I think that's really where we kind of slid a little bit into the yellow this time. But overall, I think it was still a good report for our counselors.
0: The main concern detailed in the concluding section of the report was developmental approval delays.
2: What happens when we have delays with our development in our building is it delays shovels into grounds and people into into new homes or new condos or new rental spaces if we have those delays which then impacts our businesses who can't get their employee can't get new employees or can't or their employees can't get places to live, they can't expand their businesses because they can't bring in more people because there's no place to to house them. So all those delays from that perspective, from the the end user, and then for the actual developer and builder, the costs um, of them not being able to go to construction are costs and delays. So every time there's a delay, there's cost delays to them um, in that building, which then will translate out uh, to to higher costs for the end user is it has to be paid for somewhere.
0: Cross also discussed the one decision marked in red for this quarter, the council's vote in favor of a motion to rebuke the provincial government regarding the strong mayor powers granted to Kingston's mayor, as well as 25 other Ontario mayors effective July 1st. In the report, it was stated, quote, the motion by council and resulting letter to the province will have no effect other than to further strain relationships with the province and use up staff and council time that could be spent on municipal priorities, end quote.
2: This is an interesting one because I know I've been asked this question before. Why why were you opposed to the strong mayors vote, and why they were in favor of this letter? And and again, all we're trying to say here is that the mayor that the strong mayors' powers were were given to to mayors through the provincial government. The municipal government municipal governments can't overturn that ruling. So our concern was simply that. Um, Using up city staffers' time and council's time could be better spent on, on municipal issues on something that they have control over. And this was not an area that they had control over. It was it was something a symbolic motion, I believe, on their part to, to state that they didn't they weren't in favor of this, but it really didn't affect any change.
0: In arts news this week, additions to this year's Limestone City Blues Fest were well-received. New additions to this year's Limestone City Blues Festival, which took place this past weekend, were well-received according to the Downtown Kingston Business Improvement Area. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive, confirms Jan McDonald, Artistic Director of the festival. We're really encouraged by the outcome. Having just wrapped its 26th edition, the long-running event has experienced a decrease in attendance post-pandemic. In an effort to breathe new life into the festival, the BIA incorporated a number of changes, including a licensed area and market and a more musically diverse lineup. Along with the traditional inclusion of top-tier blues performers, the festival expanded on the range of genres showcased. Over 60 concerts took place over the four-day event, with two evenings of main stage performances in Springer Market Square, as well as fan-favorite shows in Confederation Park and live music venues throughout downtown. We loved seeing the t-shirts from past festivals come through the gates, but we were also really excited to meet lots of people discovering the festival for the first time, Best festival coordinator Sandy Griffiths. Looking ahead to next year, the BIA promises more changes. I sat down with the artistic director for this Year's festival, and here's what she had to say. I know a few things were different this year. What spurred these decisions, and how did it impact turnout
3: and feedback this year? So it started last summer. We've been noticing, and not just as a result of COVID, but as a result of changing demographics, that our audience was getting a little bit smaller sort of year after year. And what we've noticed is that the average age of our audience is definitely, you know, blues fans tend to be 55 plus. Uh, so the number of people who were coming out to the festival was decreasing little by little each year, and then, of course, we had the impact of COVID, so people in, in that age bracket were less likely to come out to events where there were a lot of people. So we had some brainstorming sessions last fall with stakeholders, not only our staff, but our board members, some of our business owners and people in the music industry, just to chat about, what we could do to make the festival new and interesting to a younger demographic so as a result of that meeting we came up with a few ideas and again the idea is to change the festival slowly over a number of years not to do a dramatic change from one year to the next Mm -hmm. so what we decided to do this year was to invite some younger and sort of more hipper, if you don't mind that word, uh bands to our free stage, which is Confederation Park stage. That stage uh, has performers on it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoons, all afternoon. So we chose uh, Saturday as the one day that was really going to be geared to a younger audience. So we invited bands like the Cotas and Oak Ridge Avenue and nice On and bands that we knew had a much younger audience. So that turned out to be very successful. The crowds were great. We were very excited to see the the demo of the audience changing for those days. And then to incite people to join in the festivities in the square, we added for the first time, and this festival has been going since 1997, so quite a while, uh, a licensed area. So we worked with several of our downtown businesses, including the Caesar Company, Something in the Water, Uh, And McKinnon Brothers and Fine Balance Brewery to bring a licensed area for Friday and Saturday nights to Springer Market Square. That was a great success. Uh, We also worked with the uh, Kingston Holiday Market, which is a group that has holiday artisan markets, to have an artisan market in Confederation Park for Saturday and Sunday. And again, a huge success. Over 40 vendors were there each day, Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And people really enjoyed that. So slowly by slowly, we're making some changes. We also decided to gate the square this year for the first time. It's been difficult over the years closing the roads because we know that that impacts the businesses and how people can get around downtown. So we tried that this year, gating the square, not closing the roads. Um, The jury's still out on whether we'll continue with that, uh, that scenario or not for next year. But certainly the changes that we made in in terms of the musicians we hired, having a licensed area, having vendors in the park, we'll go forward with them 100%.
1: McDonald described the results of the changes that she saw.
3: Yes, certainly in Confederation Park, especially on the Saturday, there was a much younger crowd. And those bands obviously have followings and to be able to see them for free, people always really enjoy that concept. So there was no question that that impacted it. And then Saturday night, when we had Jeremy Albino as our headliner, we could tell just I was actually side stage and I could see that sort of the first hundred people who were right up at the front, standing, listening to the music, dancing, knowing every word, they were definitely a younger group. So, in that aspect, it definitely worked uh, bringing in a younger crowd. And then adding a licensed area, of course, is. You know, it's a treat for everybody who attends a festival and kind of a given. You expect that that will be there. So we were a bit of an anomaly for the last 25 years and not having it. So we're happy to have that as well.
1: McDonald also gave hints as to what festival goers can expect from Limestone City Blues Fest in the future.
3: Uh, We are um, having serious planning sessions this fall to look at the future of not only the Blues Festival, but other festivals and events that we do. Um, You know, everything has its time and its place. And uh, I'm certainly not saying that the festival will go away. I really don't think it will. But I think it will likely morph into a, a little bit more of a music festival as opposed to a traditional blues festival.
0: The Kingston School of Art is currently accepting submissions from artists for their 2023 juried exhibition. This year marks the sixth year of running the exhibition, which is one of the key fundraising events for the nonprofit arts center. Visual artists age 18 and above from the city of Kingston, Loyalist Township, Wolf Island, and Frontenac Islands, as well as Frontenac, Leeds and Grenville, and Hastings counties, are invited to submit their work for the show, which will take place in the Kingston School of Art window gallery on Princess Street. The event itself will include an exclusive members-only preview the day before the opening reception on October 7th, over $1,500 of prizes presented to artists in three categories and more. I sat down with Maddie Andrews, Executive Director at the Kingston School of Art, to talk about this year's exhibition. What kind of artists are eligible to submit and what kinds of pieces are you looking for? Entry is open to
4: residents ages 18 and above of the city of Kingston, Wolfe Island and the Frontenac Islands and the counties of Frontenac, Lennox and Addington, Leeds and Grenville and Hastings, so the surrounding area. Beyond that, though, it's very open. Um, Both professional and emerging artists are invited to submit. In terms of what we're looking for, so participants may enter up to three artworks of their choosing. They must be original pieces in a two-dimensional medium and be ready to hang. There are more detailed instructions about specifics on our website. But beyond that, again, we're very open and excited to see how different people approach this submission process.
0: I know you recently put out a call to artists, but you've been accepting pieces for a little while. What's been coming in? How's it been so far? So we actually
4: find that most people submit during the final few days of the call. But so far, we've been receiving mostly paintings in oils, acrylics, and watercolors, with a few examples of printmaking interspersed in there, too. Is 65 the normal number of pieces that are selected? In short, yes. We can display a maximum of 65 artworks in our window art gallery. And in previous years, the number of pieces has hovered around that number, but ultimately it's at the discretion of the jurors.
0: Also this year, I know there's $1,500 in prizes. I believe that's the same as previous years, or at least last year. I was wondering if you could get into the categories a little bit. The
4: amount is the same as the past two years. Prizes are formed through donations from our generous juried exhibition sponsors. We have, yes, over $1,500 in prizes to be awarded, including three juror awards, the first, second, and third, a People's Choice Award, where visitors are welcome to vote for their favorite piece throughout the duration of the exhibition, and it is awarded at the end of the show, and then nine honorable mentions. And so these will be decided by the jurors, and then the People's Choice Award by the public
0: Just to backtrack for a quick second, because you mentioned your sponsors there. I was wondering, is, has it been consistently the same few sponsors throughout the years? Are there some new ones this year? Yeah, so
4: we have quite a few consistent sponsors who have gen- generously supported the Juried Art Show the past few years. Um, so it really would be impossible to run this um, fundraiser without their support, their local businesses and individuals. So a huge thank you is due to them. Um, the sponsors include the In Memory of Henny Marsh Fund, KPMG, Health for Life Medical Center, Mikes. Granage and Karen Charlton, Kingston Frameworks, Mark Peabody Custom Builder, Art Noise, and Cunningham Swan Lawyers. So folks can look forward to this on October 7th. How can folks enjoy the exhibition? Folks can stop by our Window Art Gallery located at the intersection of Princess Street and Victoria Street throughout October to see the uh, the juried exhibition. We open on Saturday, the 7th of October, officially, and run until the 29th of October. All are welcome to attend our opening reception on Saturday, the 7th of October from 12 to 4 p.m., with awards and remarks being given at one o'clock. And if folks want to become members, they are very welcome to then attend our members preview the evening before on the Friday.
0: Once again, that was Maddie Andrews with the Kingston School of Art chatting about this year's juried exhibition. Artists are welcome to submit their work until September 10th, 2023, and can find more information regarding submission guidelines on the Kingston School of Art website. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. To listen back, find episodes you missed, and discover new shows, be sure to head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Our news programming is supported by the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. Dear listeners, as you may have heard, Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, is blocking Canadian access to all content created by news providers, including this radio station, in response to the Online Broadcasting Act. Access to local news and information matters to everyone, and while radio stations use their airwaves to keep you informed, we also use social media to share local news, events, and initiatives, and even content about our upcoming programming. We need you to write your MP and convey your concerns. Learn more and find a letter template for your MP on our website, cfrc.ca.